This episode contains explicit content. Topics covered today include suicide and substance abuse. Thank you for listening to the Let's Vibe podcast. On this podcast, we are documenting and celebrating our passion for raves, festivals, and electronic dance music. Episodes feature people who are passionate and deep in the middle of the electronic music scene. We discuss the power of music that brings people together from all walks of life and reaches every corner of the world. I'm your host, Danny Era, and let's get this party started. Thank you all for joining. Tonight, we're going to have Pat Ochoa tell us a little bit about his journey through his rave history, which started in 1992, his 20 years of sobriety. He's also the founder of the Insomniac Consciousness Group. He'll be telling us a little bit about how that started and what it looks like today. Thank you so much. So I, the, the consciousness group, just to correct, I, I was actually, I would have to say the great spirit, creative intelligence. Um, some religious folks call it God. Um, uh, it was divinely an inconvenience for me, actually, to be honest with you. And, and I'll, I'll share about how that came up. Um, so I, uh, I don't know, I was, I was clean and sober. I guess it's been almost 10 years. We're coming up on our 10 year. So I was about 10 years sober and I had sponsored these two young guys and, and they were going to raves in Los Angeles. They had about uh, six months sober and they started going to raves like every night of the week. And, uh, you know, everyone in, in, in the, in the rooms, 12 step rooms will be like, don't go to raves. You'll get loaded, you know? And uh, you're, you know, and, and so it's like this, you're going to die kind of scare tactic thing. And, and I'm like, yeah, go to raves. You know, one was from Virginia uh, so he was like a, you know, a little hippie kid, kid. Well, anyways, they were going. And so they're like six months in, into the rave scene, you know, sober. And they both had about a year and uh, they both were, were uh, suicidal <laughs> though, though neither of them knew about it. We're not necessarily sure who's in recovery here, who's not, but doesn't really matter. Addicts and alcoholics, we don't tend to be like, hey, I'm suicidal, you know what I mean? Or uh, I'm feeling bad, you know, your friends, you don't really. And so they weren't talking about it. And they were at a rave one night and uh, they both were like, dude, I'm done. They were just gonna, they were gonna end their lives, though they didn't know it. And so they were on their way out. It was two in the morning. They were going out to their car and they met, they met a kid in the parking lot and they started chatting and the kid had three years sober and they were just like mind blown, right? They're like, oh my God, another sober person here. And they both were like, yeah, we're going to kill ourselves. You know, they just got honest with this human being. They didn't even know in the parking lot and then got honest with each other. And in that conversation, uh, they both had this thought that it would be cool if there were meetings at raves. They know my story. They know that, that I started in 1992. They called me the next morning. Thank God it wasn't 3.30 in the morning. Uh, but the next day they called and they were like, we have this great idea. 
And I was like, great idea. What is your great idea? And uh, they're like, we want to do raves at meetings. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, good luck to you. They're like, well, we want you to help us. And I'm like, yeah, good luck to you. A couple of days later, I get a call from, from one of their dads and, and rest in peace, uh, Sean, uh, who's passed away. Um, but I, I got a call from Sean and, and he brought, you know, he's, he's in the music industry his whole career. And he's like, I really want to help my son. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go forward with that, but great. And he's like, but I need you to be of service to my son. <laughs> and those of us that know I need you to be of service in the recovery community, the answer is yes, right? You're just like, all right, I, you know, I, I'm being called to this. And he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna help my son get this situated and I, and I need you to help him stay sober through it. I said, okay. And and uh I made I made uh reached out to Pasquale, um, which all of us may, maybe some of us don't know. Pasquale's the founder and owner of Insomniac. And uh, I've known Pasquale since 1992. I remember sitting on the on the corners with him, passing out flyers for Insomniac, which was an after-hours party on on Friday nights. It started, and and there was 150 of us at the first one. And and anyway, so I reached out, and literally in like I don't know 10 minutes, I got a boom response back. Like this is a great idea. I think we should do. It. And I was like praying. I was like, hopefully he says no, you know. And uh, and and he was like, yeah, let's do it. And within, I don't know, an hour, we had a logo and we had a Facebook and and and, and it started the marketing campaign online and uh, we were going full force and we showed up to Nocturnal Wonderland at Glen Helen. And if anyone's familiar, well, Glen Helen, there's a bunch of stages, but the main stage at Glen Helen and there's a big, huge grass hill and they, they put our tent way at the top up there. We didn't get one passerby. It was it was me, these two guys I sponsored, Q, Q Brickle and Brad Waldo, and Sean Sean Brickle, Q's dad, who was like sixty. You know this, but but this guy was at Woodstock. You know what I mean? He was that he was that dinosaur of a guy. We were up there, and not one person came. And we thought, well, man, this is gonna be rough, right? Because it's not really all that popular to be sober and go to festivals, is it? Right? It's like for some reason, people think that you have to go to festivals and get high. I mean, I'll get into my story, but right. And so it's, it wasn't like popular. People weren't like, oh, looking for the sober tent, you know. We ended up at Bonnaroo in Tennessee, and I don't know if anyone's familiar with Bonnaroo, but but they have sober tents at Bonnaroo. Well, they didn't have sober tents. They had a guy by the name of Patrick Whalen who was who was doing yellow balloons. And if you guys know what yellow balloons are, it started off with the Wharf Rats at, at Grateful Dead. And Fish has a sober community, and all the jam bands have sober communities. And they bring they have yellow balloons, and that's how like the sober folks, clean and sober folks, know right. Like, oh, I think there's a meeting over here. So we went to Patrick, who was like grassroots. They were just setting up at a tent. And they've been doing it. And that this was their first year. They got a tent. And so Ken tells us, yeah, meet Patrick Whalen. So we go meet Patrick Whalen. And uh, and I sat in a meeting with 70 people in recovery, a 12-step style meeting at Bonnaroo. And uh, 70 people. And I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? I was tripping. I was like, nobody came to our tent at, at Nocturnal Wonderland. It was all about me. So self-centered, you know, I was like, and uh and so what happened was, was that first day we, we met this kid who came and the kid was loaded. He was high as high as 
high as high, you know? And, and he's like, who are you guys? And we're like, oh, we're clean and sober music lovers. You know what I mean? And, and he's like, oh, cool. Like you're, you don't even smoke weed, like Cali sober, you know? And, and we're like, no, dude, we don't even smoke weed, you know? And, and, and we started telling our stories and he was so interested that the second day of Bonnaroo, he decided that he was going to um, stay sober that day. <laughs> you know, and I was like, really? Rad. And so the second day he stayed sober, we went to we went to all kinds of shows with him and, and he partied sober for the first time. That night at, at 10 o'clock, he came back and he was blitzed. I mean, blitzed, loaded, just like stumbling around, like he, you know, one day at a time. He didn't get that concept yet. And he literally passed out in the tent and we just kind of closed the tent up around him. And at Bonnaroo, you camp, right? So we walked, went off and we camped that night and we came back and he was still passed out in the tent and we opened the tent up and he was literally like laying right in the meeting, like where all the 80 chairs were, he was laying there and passed out. And so we all sat down. There was about 75 of us at that meeting and we kept a seat open for him. Uh, just in case he 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 came to you know and uh, and so we started the meeting off and we said this meeting is where great spirits live in you know I, I, you know we'll call it God I don't know if that's what you get down with for me great spirit he literally came to in the middle of the meeting you know what I mean and we just were a service we picked him up and we put him there and we gave him some food and we gave him some uh, juice and uh, and we gave him some numbers of folks in recovery back where he lives. We said, all right, man, good luck to you. You know, the next year at Bonnaroo, youngster came back. He was so excited to celebrate a year sober with us, you know. <laughs> you know, to me, like, wow, it was just, it caught this fire in me. And, and I knew the purpose of what we were doing. Consciousness group started from that. I'm selfish and self-centered period. You know what I mean? I don't want to do nothing for nothing. I've been trained to say yes, right? Because that's like the spirit's moving me. Like, why are we all here? Some of you are probably being a service to the, the deal. And, and so you have to be here and maybe you're more interested in other things, but but you're here, right? And, I, and I'm a firm believer that when we're here, there's a message. I don't know who the messenger is going to be. And those kids that were suicidal didn't know they were going to be the messenger. 10 years later, from that experience, we started a nonprofit called Harmonium, Harmonium Inc. We have sober tents and 35 music festivals across the country. And Insomniac Consciousness Group is literally just a small fraction. We do all the West Coast shows. We just started at in Florida at EDC Orlando this last year. Insomniac deals growing. And if anyone's cleaning and sober and they want to be a service like my numbers in there shoot me a text then and we'll, we'll help we'll, we'll get you going that's how it started and it wasn't because it was an I was really I, I was selfish I didn't want to do it you know what I mean? and so that's I'm not really the founder uh really I guess two guys who wanted to kill themselves had this idea they reached out to me and, and it kind of just went from there right and so I am a board member of Harmonium you know I was very much influential in the beginning and uh and I said I'm a service on the back end I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. I've been clean and sober 20 years. I got sober on October 23rd, 2002, which means I'm old. So like I'll change, I'll change the hat, you know, which is Camp OG, uh, OGs of Insomniac back when it first started. Uh, we have camp at EDC. Amazing, like just amazing. So I don't know, man. And uh, when I was 17 years old, I was living in Orange County, California, Mission Viejo to be exact suburb you know what i mean it was it was 1992 i was drinking 
every day, just as much as I could. I was drinking and smoking weed every day, right? And I was eating LSD and going to class, which is, you know, it's, it's, it, I don't know if you've eaten LSD and gone to class, but like, it makes education much more better. You know what I mean? When the teacher's like melting, you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh my God. I was like the kid that always got the call slip to go to the office to get the potential talk. You know what I mean? I think I, I only went to high school to, to get, well, to get cute girls, you know? I come from like broken home, you know, not where there's much money. Uh, but in Mission Viejo, where I went to school, a lot of kids, families have a lot of money. So we started spare changing at lunchtime. Um, and I would slang weed and, and I would and I would sell acid. And, uh, you know, and, and so like that was me, just like a, a, a just a reckless kid that was just having fun. Like there was no problems. I mean, my, my friends robbed the pizza man and I got busted and I went to juvenile hall. Uh, but I didn't do it. So that wasn't really a consequence. Uh, mom told me I couldn't drink and smoke weed at home. I was like, hide it better. Like, that's a horrible idea. But I was already faced with like, you need to be sober. Like you're getting, you're, you're, you, you have a ninth grade education. You know, I, I've always felt awkward and weird. I've always had like this nervous disposition, anxiety. I mean, I still bite my fingernails. You know what I mean? I'm just like angst. I got, I got this deal. You know what I mean? I just got this inside stuff going on that that when I drink and smoke weed and do drugs like you know what like it connects me to you like all of a sudden like I feel like I don't want to say like a part of but I just I don't know like just connection like there was a connection between me and you there it felt like I was a spiritual experience let's call it what it is and so when mom's like you can't drink and smoke weed at home I'm like that's not an option and so at 17, my mom kicked me out. And I remember grabbing my mom by the collar and slamming her against the wall. You know what I mean? And, um, and uh, dude, my mom was my hero. My mom was my best friend. You know what I mean? Like, like drugs and alcohol were already dictating my life. You know, I went to the YMCA when I was a kid. I, I, I was a camp counselor. I was, I was a director of YMCA camp, full blown. I mean, I'd go to raves and come home, come show up to camp the next day, hallucinating. You're like, hi, I'm your camp counselor, you know? And, um, and like, so my friend who was a counselor with me, uh, Jason Blakemore, uh, he went by DJ Trance back in the day. He's one of the, one of the founding DJs of the LA scene. He, we'd always, before this, before getting kicked out, he, he, he DJed hip hop and I would go to his house and we drink uh, Colt 45 or St. Ives and I would break dance in his, in his uh, bedroom. And he went to college and he came back and uh, he was playing, what was a radio station it was 93.1. It was electronic music. And, and no, one, it wasn't like it, you know, there was break beats. It would be like the, the sound was like a house vocal, a jungle with some break beat with some like whistles. You know what I mean? It was just like, there was no genres really. There was house, which was like the gay community was all about out of the disco era, you know, Detroit, you know, their Detroit was coming out with techno. And, and so it was just like, and I was like, this is fuck rad, you know? And so he took me to, uh, well, like, first he made a DJ tape. So it was, it was uh, Rondi Core, DJ Dan, R.A.W., and this cat, Fester. And uh, it was uh, these guys, and they would play. And, and there was more than that. But he uh, made this tape, and I and I went to Thrifties, and I stole all these blank cassettes. And so we just made copies. And those of us that remember cassette tapes, you would record, and then you would put a second cassette in there, and then you record the cassette, right? And so, dude, he made, I don't know, he made like 20 tapes, and he's like, let's go. And so we went to L.A., to this after hours club called what 
and uh, it was in South Central. I mean, I remember one time, dude, they found a dude dead in the in in, in over by the bathroom, like over in the dark corner. Like it was sketchy. And I'm like eight, 17, 18 years old, kid from like Orange County, the suburbs, and I'm going to South Central. You know what I mean? And uh, and he's like, you're gonna sell tapes for me. And so he literally like we took his records in. He wasn't even on the bill to play that night. He lived, just walked up to the decks and he sat there on his records and 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 they and all of a sudden they're like, hey kid, you want to play? And, uh, and, and I was in the audience and I'm out there, you know, stand up huge wall of speakers. I mean, I'm talking like 15, maybe like 10, 11, 12 tall wall of just speakers, but across the whole thing, no lasers. It was just dark, you know what I mean? And, uh, maybe a couple of lights and everybody just bounced dun, 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 and big cat in the hat and everyone made their own clothes back then. You know what I mean? You, you would see a kid with a backpack and it was like a tricked box, you know, and, and, you know, you couldn't call like the rave, you know, the festival website to get your gear. Like you made it, you know? And all of a sudden he just dropped this track. Like he always started off with DJ trance and the whole place went nuts and they never even heard him before. And he just dropped it and everybody just ding, 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 just going nuts. And they're like, who's this? Who's this? And I was like, dude, I was the guy. This is my first rave. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden I was like, this DJ Trance, you never heard him before? And they're like, oh, what? And I got, I got blank tapes. And so I started selling tapes for five bucks. You know what I mean? That was like my first, my first rave. Like it was an after hours. It wasn't really a rave, but it was. But, and that was like my, my, my first introduction. And shortly after that, the LA riots happened. Dude, they closed down LA and uh, there was a, uh, it opened the streets and there was supposed to be a party and they gave everybody that had tickets free into the rave. And if you wanted to come, it was five bucks. And so we went and we stood, it was in South Central, it was thick walls and the whole building was just like, boom, just vibrating. I mean, I was on a lot of LSD, so I don't know if I was hallucinating, but it felt to me like the whole, and, uh, and we were outside and, and I remember walking into this rave and it was just lines of people, like probably like 50 people on each side and you walk in and they're like acid, ecstasy, Molly, fucking balloons. You just hear the nitrous in the corner, you know, guys with balloons and, and mushrooms. And you just, everybody was just calling out drugs, you know? And you were just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I remember this, this cat, Max, he just grabbed me, dude, and took, literally took me to the front. I didn't even know this guy. He took me to the wall of speakers, right? And was just like, boom just bouncing and everybody's bouncing and their arms are around me right we talk about plur peace love unity and respect for those that don't know and the rave scene was fundamentally right like and they just put their arms around me and for the first time in my life like I felt like I was at home I felt like I was part of something that was super special that was magical that was freeing that was love Back then, it was just like, here's a balloon here. Oh, here's a fuck mushroom. You know what I mean? And, and like the cap still on it was like, and uh, and I'd pull out acid. I'm like, and I literally was like, yeah, here. And, and people were just giving you drugs. Like it was bliss, man. It was just perfect, you know? And um, and I literally, I fell in love, man. I fell in love. It was nonstop record stores, 
you know, like Melrose going to the record stores, beat nonstop. And back then you would, you would call a number, you'd get a little card and, and it was, you know, the date of the party and, and a phone number and you'd call it, you know, the thing would say, oh yeah, go to uh, Melrose and Vine and, you know, that the, the oil change store and look for the guy with the cat in the hat. And then you would show up there. And then you would find the guy and then he would give you another little piece of paper that would give you directions like all the way like to Santa Monica, you know, you go way over there and uh, look for the guy with the laser and then you find the guy at the laser and he would give you directions to some other place and then, and then all of a sudden you get the directions to the location, you know, and you would just go in and, and it was just magical, you know what I mean, I remember they would, they would bust the rave. And uh, cops would roll up and they would be like lugging speakers back on the U-Haul to take it out as some were getting arrested. And, you know, and then and then you would call the number and they would give you another address and they already had something else set up somewhere. And then you would go there and you would go like, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night and Sunday mornings, we'd go to Thrift by the Pound off La Brea and, and Melrose, you know, and all high. I've been up all weekend and we'd go there and we'd get like polyester pants and we'd get extra fabric and go to Venice Beach and we would make our own clothes and we would tie hemp, you know, and slang hemp and, and you know, just like Venice Beach and, and bars and, and, and the drum circle that still goes on every, you know, and it was just like, it was family, man. And then next thing you know, we're going to San Francisco, right, to the Wicked crew up there, finding a whole new community of people and then you're like you know you're going to seattle and the breakbeat scene was popping in seattle and and it was just all about b-boys and breakdancing and the jungle cruise and belmont yards in la like the old belmont yards and belmont tunnel graffiti and uh you know backyard parties and dude it was just man it was amazing you know one time we're at a party and there was no ecstasy no one could get ecstasy and i had like the purest lsd like yeah, man, fuck, one of them had a bad trip, you know what I mean? And I just sat with that person for like three hours, just like talking them down. And I remember getting, when they when they came down, right, it was just like hugging me. And like, that's what it was about. Like, it was just about being there for one another, knowing where we were in the trip, like just connection, love, you know, safety, just like we took care of one another. And I'm homeless, you know, I got kicked out at 17. You know, speed came along the way, you know, because they stay up longer, you know, and uh, then heroin came along and, you know, you got to come down to stay up. And and I could only man manage for a period of time, you know, and um, long story short, two years before I got sober, I, I, I was on Skid Row, you know, in downtown Los Angeles. I'd been there for, I was living there for a year and a half before I got clean and sober. By the end, uh, you know, as a straight man, as, as I would wander up to West Hollywood to, to, walk, to go into bars and flirt with men to get enough drugs and alcohol in my body. And, you know, my, my goal was to, to get out before I, before I blacked out, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and sometimes I would, and sometimes I wouldn't, you know, and, and I remember uh, being downtown and, and, uh, standing on the corner, standing on the street, you know, prostituting myself, you know what I mean? For one more hit of heroin or one more hit of crack cocaine. And uh, I remember looking up and I had been standing outside a warehouse we used to get, we used to party at, you know, and my whole life, everything flashed, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the peak of my life where I felt the most, the most bliss, the most perfect feeling ever, right? Like, in my life and I'm standing there at the lowest point you know what I mean the lowest point dude just like how did your life get from there 
to here. You know what I mean? How did that happen? You couldn't tell me anything different, you know? And, and so I stood there and, um, and uh, ended up getting sober. And I didn't know, like, how am I going to go back to the thing I love? How am I going to listen to music again? Like, how am I going to go dance again? Dude, I love, I love break beats. You know, I mean, I'm listening to break beats on the way to home right now. You know what I mean? 48 years old, still, I'll still dance with the kids. Like, I still go to festivals and get down. Dude, at Nocturnal last year, this kid said to me, go, looks at me, goes, how old are you? Dude, I said, I'm 47. You know what I mean? And, and he's like, dude, you're getting down harder than we are. And then he looked down and I had freaking flip fucking rainbow flip flops on. You know what I'm saying? And he's just like, what? You know, right? Like, like I live for the music, right? I live for the vibe. I live for the connection. That's never gone away, right? Like just because I got sober doesn't mean that like I stopped living a, a life that I love. I just got a native instruments controller. You know what I'm saying? Like I have in my storage, probably, I don't know, was. 13 crates of just house and electronic records. I have four Technique 1200s that I got. I'm like, these things are dinosaurs. No one uses these things anymore. You know what I'm saying? But I can't let it go. Like, it's not a, like for me, like house music is fucking, I don't want to say who I am, but a huge part of what I am. I live it. Like it's something that I live. It's not something that I do. It's something that I live. You guys talked about plur and peace, love, unity and respect, right? And like the whole candy scene and, and, and right. And we put our fingers and we, and we transfer the things and you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a way of life. You know, you talk, you think you look into like plur and you look into Frankie bones and all that, the history, right? Like the fundamentals of what we do, right. Is that, and it's, it's something that I've always lived, right? Like I've always had the light inside. I've always been a bright light even in the darkest of places, even in the darkness of my own being has always been this light, right? It's always been this hope. It's always been this like, you know, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to give. I'm here through addiction, right? Like it just got darker and darker and darker. And I remember one time, you know, being in the, the, my addiction, just thinking like, dude, I'm about to like leave the light to the dark side. Like I had been living it, but like I was literally having a conversation with I don't know what you'd say, but like the devil, like not really the devil, but like that, like, does it like, so we can put it into con context. And, 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 and I made a choice, right. To go to the light and my life changed when I got sober and in the 12 step fellowship, we do some things and we, we, we start to have what's called a spiritual experience, right? I had that spiritual experience. My first rave, I had that spiritual experience when I drank alcohol the first time. I had a spiritual experience when I smoked weed the first time, right? Like I've had these spiritual experiences my whole life. And when I got through the, the, the through the steps, dude, like my life changed. Like it, it says that, that I am a free man, dude, I've had a spiritual awakening, bro. Like my, I am no longer asleep to this idea that I can't live my life, right? Like I can live my life to the fullest, I could go to the darkest of places as long as I'm spiritually fit. You know what I'm saying? I could, I go to Skid Row every Sunday with my son. I see guys smoking crack cocaine right in front of me. Yeah, rad, dude. That's rad for you. Rad, not for me. How can I help? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the homeless guy that wants money, right? Like, it's not my place to judge him whether what it's for. It's not my place, man. What my place is, is to be kind and loving. But my place is to say, dude, when I'm handing them that money to say, dude, I've been where you've been and you don't have to live that way anymore, you know? And, uh, and I can tell you from that, what's happened is, is down the line, 
a, a year into it, old boy says to me, he says, you've been telling me I don't have to live this way. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, and I get to share my sit down with him and share my story with him. Right. And share my story about, dude, I've been where you've been. Right. I've, I've sat on this same wall that you're sitting on. Right. I bought crack down the street and come here to get high where no one could see me. Right. Like I don't live that way today anymore. So I become a free man. And what happened for me was I was I like I went to my first show, dude. Like it was like a small club where I couldn't get like to the to the big thing yet, man. It was like I was scared. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go back to that life, dude, that I was living. I didn't want to go there. And I was scared. And 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 everybody in the 12th said, you know, they are, you're gonna get loaded. I'm like, dude, bro, I'm not gonna. And so I went. My very first show, Doc Martin, he's a house DJ out of Los Angeles. He's the king of LA house. So I go here and play, you know what I mean? And so I go and I, and I go inside and, and I go get my Red Bull, right? Because in, in recovery, we drink energy drinks, you know, maybe too many sometimes. And, uh, and so I go get my Red Bull and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm all pumped. I'm all jacked on the energy. You know what I mean? Probably drank like four coffees before and I get the Red Bull and I, and I go inside and, 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 and I'm a speaker junkie, dude. I love the speaker, man. If you see me at a party, I am in front of the speaker, literally right here. And I'm just jumping in that thing, dude. I'm a bass cabinet freak, dude. Back in the day, you'd see me in the bass cabinet just boom the ecstasy is just vibrating the whole body you know what i mean i climb the speaker to that hot to the high siren where you know I, dude i just i can i can see and feel music right like literally watch music notes drop you know what i mean sober you know what i mean and so and so i'm in front of the speaker and i put my drink my my red bull down on the speaker and i'm getting down dude i'm just like bah, 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 bah. and and uh and I, I, you know, I go to get my Red Bull, man, and I took a drink. Well, dude, it, it was vodka. And, uh, and I had six months sober, dude. You know what I mean? And I was like, instantly, I recoiled like a hot flame, right? Like, it went, it hit my lips, hit my mouth. I knew it was vodka. And I went, fucking spit that out right away. You know what I mean? And it was, it wasn't like conscious. It was subconscious. Boom, right? Like, I recoiled. And, uh, and I was terrified waiting for the phenomenon of craving to set it. And uh, I literally, I called my sponsor the next day. I stayed till the end and I called my sponsor the next day, you know, and uh, he's like, what was your motive? I said, my motive was to have a good time at the show. Was it your intent to drink? I said, absolutely not. Right. And, uh, and I got honest with another human being, you know what I mean? And when I got honest, right, like all of that like fear went away, right? Like all of that shame went away. All of that guilt went away. I was guilty for this time and do anything, right? That's how self-centered I am. I'll make it up, making things up, you know? And, and it all went away. And it's my experience that when I get honest with another human being, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I've done wrong, right? Like I get honest with you. And what happens is when I get honest with others, right? Like there's a, there's a freedom to that. That's how it started for me again. And, and most people would say you shouldn't go back. Uh, but let's fast forward a year or two into the deal, dude. Like I threw a party. I wanted Wicked to play. They weren't getting played. I said, dude, like the old school days. You know what I mean? We used to just go, we'd go to bars and we'd go, we're going to throw turntables up. Rad. 
you know, let people know for two weeks and we'll give you free drink tickets. You know what I mean? So we just, next thing you know, boom, we threw it, we threw a party and, uh, and we had, uh, it was Matt, it was maxed out at 300. So we put 400 people in there. Um, and, and I was sober and, uh, threw a party and, uh, one more time, right. I'm with my people. Like one more time I'm connected one more time. We're spreading the message of peace, love, unity, and respect. I believe if I'm in the music, I have a responsibility to be that, to live that, and to share that, to share that with kids that are coming in, to talk about what this is about, because they feel it when they get there. They feel it. That's what brings them back. So I have a responsibility to share that, not to hold it to myself. No, we share it. We teach it. A guy came to me, right? And he asked me to sponsor him. And Dude, guess what? Like he was one of the original OGs back in 93 when Insomniac started. He was an OG from 92. And, and so what happened was, was consciousness group was going on. And so we would have, uh, you know, 12 volunteers. We had three meetings a day. And all of his step work that we did, dude, was at a music festival. We did his fifth step at Middlelands in Texas, right? There was only one of them. <laughs> and we volunteered there together. And we did a fifth step and Middlelands was at a Renaissance fair. We did it in like this Celtic church <laughs> backstage, you know what I mean? And, and then we we met the cats from Third Eye Pinecone. You know what I mean? Mine's in the mine's in my room. I should have worn it. It been perfect for this. And if you don't know what Third Eye Pinecone is, dude, fuck, go to a festival and find them, man. Good people, right? Good spiritual hearted. And so, you know, we got our Third Eye Pinecones and, and, and it's just like, there's a connection there. His 11th step at Long Beach Festival, right? And, and we did the we did the 11th step, and then we wandered. We got some kombucha. You know what I mean? That's another maybe might be a no no in some of your circles, <laughs> but we got some kombucha. You know what I mean? I'm not drinking kombucha to get high. Trust me. But dude, we drank it. And we both looked at each other and said, "I think this is a little strong." You know what I mean? And we poured it out, right? Like recoil from it like a hot flame, dude. Like it's like alcohol and drugs aren't a part of my life. It's just not right. Like connection with you is my life. So when you ask me to come, I'm like, absolutely. I would love to be here, right, with you. Even though as selfish as I am, I'd, you know, I'd, you know, I'd rather watch TV, which I don't even like. The truth is, is, is I'm just scared. You know what I mean? I'm scared of the world, man. I'm scared of, I'm scared of you. I'm scared of, I'm just scared, you know? And so when I want to say no, it's because I'm scared. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know. Everyone's probably judging me. No one's doing that, right? But that's the falseness. It's the delusion in my head. And the worst part of the delusion is that I believe the delusion. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll have full-on conversations with the delusion, which keeps me away from everything good in my life. You know, it keeps everything good in my life away, listening to the nonsense, right? The delusion, that's a delusion, that's a delusion on a delusion, man. And it's just compounded. And so what happens is, is I wake up in the morning and, and I say, great spirit, if you see fit, just allow me to help one person in my life today. Addict, alcoholic, the lady at the grocery store, anywhere, right? Place somebody in my life that I can help, right? And I go out and I help them. That's how I live my life today. You know, I wear the Nocturnal Wonderland hat because that's my favorite festival. It's more intimate than, than the rest, but uh, I, don't, I don't really care where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? Like, just give me some good. I'm a bass junkie, man. I love the bass, man. Like, 
I love funky bass. I love dancing till six in the morning during COVID. What was everyone doing? I think we did a rave online like you guys do. You know what I mean? We we streamed, you know, one something and, and there was there was a hundred of us consciousness group online. And, and that was cool, right? Like we found a way to connect and we found a way to do that. So I was like, I was getting, I have Zoom's great. I love you guys. You know what I mean? But I'm like, I need to figure it. And no one was, everyone was scared to throw the, throw a party. You know what I mean? And I was like, screw it, man. So we threw it, we threw a party out in the desert and uh, we got a sound system, man. And, uh, and sober cats got together and we, we threw a party out in the desert. One of the very first parties out in Palmdale the desert. And, and we threw a party, dude, you know what I mean? And uh, it was one more time, right? It was that connection. You know what I mean? One more time, it was about love. In the time of crisis, you think about like, you know, the rave scene, you get it, I don't want to get into the history and stuff, but it's in the inner cities, you know what I mean? It's for the broken, man. You know, we can come in and we can put it all to the side and nothing fucking matters at home. Nothing matters on the streets. Nothing matters, but we come in and we're filled with love and we're filled with connection. And I can get away from the life that I've been living for that period of time. And problem for the alcoholic in the attic is we take it to the extreme right and so what happened was was in that in that desert when we were all terrified and we were all scared and we didn't know what was going to happen right we could put that aside and we could connect with one another and we can love with one another we could have peace within one another and there was a healing factor one more time right the music became a healing factor for a group of people I love recovery. I love music. I love everything about it all. Everything has changed. It's progressed. 150 people to 145,000 to EDC. I have a responsibility to carry the message of the roots of what it what it is. I'll end with one story. We were at EDC and uh, at the tent, man, and this guy. And so when they come to the tent, it's a tent, and all that we what we do is we ask every all the volunteers to donate a tapestry or something, right? Insomniac, all they provide us is a tent. They give us passes for our volunteers, free passes, and they give us meals. And so over the years, over the 10 years, we have hundreds of tapestries that people have donated and lights. And so we start off and we set the tent up and it always looks different, right? Because we have a hundred and, and it's a new group of people and a new group get to put their stamp on it. And, and we ask new volunteers to bring something so that they can leave their thumbprint on consciousness group. And, oh, yeah. So they come and, and there's candy and everybody wants candy. Right. Or they're like, hey, what's this all about? And we're able to tell them like we're cleaning silver ravers. And they're like, what? We're like, yeah, we're cleaning silver ravers haven't used. And they're like, can I have some candy? Because, you know, when you're on ecstasy, anyways. And so we're like, yeah, you can have a candy. But the only thing we ask, either tell us a secret, tell us a joke or donate some money in the donation because we're we're 100% volunteer. Most of the time they tell you a secret. And I have heard people's, a lot of people's secrets. I'm a closed mouth friend today. And these people tell their secrets. So dude tells his secret next year, EDC, man, he felt the love. And so what he do? He came back just to say hi. And he came back and he said, hi, and he took some candy next year. So he did this for three years in a row. Fourth year, he came back and uh, he had a one-year chip. The year before, he had sold ecstasy to an undercover cop. And, uh, and he knew that those guys from the consciousness group, if they could stay sober, he could, you know? And um, we never know the kindness that we have for another human being, the impact that it has. We never know. 
And the kindness of consciousness group altered that human being's life so that in a time of desperation and loneliness, he had hope. And um, that's what consciousness group's about. You know what I mean? It's about carrying the message that you don't have to, you don't have to drink or use or to go to festivals. You, you know, you, you can be sober. And when guys come to us all the time wanting help, we fuck party with them. We go to shows with them. We go see the DJs they want. We go see them. We go be with them. It's not like we're just at the tent. We front lines out there, man, out there with them and showing them a good time. Show them you can stay sober. I hope that someone got something out of it. I hope that, you know, I just, man, I love you so much, Daniel. That was, that was super rad. It was, it was cool to be with you guys, man. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Let's Vibe podcast. You can connect with Let's Vibe on all social platforms. To further support Let's Vibe, please share this podcast with friends or leave a review. For more information, join our Discord group or visit our website at letsvibemusic.com. Until next time, sending you love and vibes.